This month, the World AIDS Day theme is Equalize. Equalize was selected as the prompt to address the inequalities that presently restrict the progress necessary to be made to end AIDS. Greetings again, I'm Adam Morgan. During the last two years, the global COVID-19 pandemic lessened and restricted the research necessary toward a cure. At the end of 2021, worldwide, over 38 million persons were estimated living with HIV. In the United States, this number is approximately 1.2 million, with just over 13,000 of them in Colorado. Since 1983, the statewide Colorado Health Network has been the leader in supporting and meeting the needs of individuals facing the challenges of successfully living with HIV. The chief executive officer of CHN, who kept its service delivery steady through the pandemic, is our guest, Mr. Daryl Vigil. You know, I do think people have lost sight of uh, HIV and the importance of it, but not necessarily because of COVID. It's primarily because there's been so many advancements in treatment and care that it's, you know, off people's radar. Um, You know, with, with these advancements in treatment and care, people don't hear about it because we don't have a lot of people dying like we did, you know, a few decades ago. Yeah. COVID-19 as well is when they started seeing the body count in New York City, it got everybody's attention. They knew it was not a hoax at all. And as soon as we got vaccines, it's sort of like, oh, okay, we can go back to park again. So uh, I don't know. know. Um, But if someone in a a family or person you know, if they uh, are diagnosed, what can we as individuals do to help support and assist them? You know, the biggest thing that you can do is be there for them. You know, a lot of folks still feel like they, you know, are not welcomed by folks when they disclose their HIV status. Mm -hmm. Um, So the biggest thing is just be there. I went to a World AIDS Day event yesterday, and a woman who is HIV positive spoke about how she always took casseroles to people when they were having illnesses, and when she disclosed her HIV status, uh, it was crickets. Nobody did anything. I don't know if it was out of fear, but she just felt like, you know, people just need a hug when something like that happens, and uh, oftentimes that doesn't happen. Is that hug uh, more of not a physical thing because the doctors are taking care of that. It's more of a mental uplift and to keep them mentally stable so they don't think their whole life is going downhill then. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Just providing that support emotionally um, will really help with uh, a person's mental status. And, you know, it's, it's really that emotional support that, that is needed if someone uh, has a new HIV diagnosis. For new diagnosed people, just uh, disclosing what the condition is, does that become easier? Are there strategies that people can use? I was reading someplace that you can call on the health department. The health department might be able to help with that. You know, our local and state health departments do have folks that are available and ready to assist when someone is newly diagnosed, not only with helping link them to services, um, and they also work with organizations like uh, our organization, Colorado Health Network, to provide that support. Um, So there are definitely resources available for that. Uh, It's just a matter of, you know, folks knowing that and being able to reach out because there's there's definitely help available. Yeah, it's got to be pretty uh, pretty shocking to people who may say, well, everybody knows about it now, so I'll just share with my families or friends. And some of the families or friends may be repulsed because they really didn't know as much as a lot of us thought they should have by now. 
And for a person that's disclosing, that can be really disconcerting. Yes, it definitely can. I think the biggest change is with our younger folks. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot less stigma um, among our younger populations just because they've been living with HIV, you know, their entire lives, at least as far as it being in the media, being in the news, uh, knowing people who have it, and, and largely knowing people who are managing HIV as a chronic condition. And so um, it's easier for them because they weren't around when they were seeing folks um, dying very terrible deaths where they were you know, suddenly becoming very uh, skinny, losing weight, and, and basically wasting away. And so it, it is a different situation. I think for older folks who are diagnosed, it's still a little bit more challenging because they do have that memory of what it was like a few decades ago. Yeah, speaking of older folks, senior adults living with AIDS, are they still having issues with housing and health care? There are issues. I think one of the biggest things is we are seeing such an increase in the percentage of our clients who are over 50, just which is a good thing. It's because people are living longer, normal lives with access to modern treatment and care. A lot of these folks thought they were dying a few decades ago, and yeah. so they didn't really plan for retirement. And a lot of them don't have a lot of resources because they thought they wouldn't be here. And so that is very challenging. We do see a higher percentage of older folks with HIV who have challenges around housing and that's something that our uh, program can also help with. Are you finding that some landlords, for those who have to rent, are asking questions regarding health status that prospective renters must disclose, and that makes it kind of uh, difficult for seniors or, or even younger people, you know, to uh, find housing? Yeah, that happened, I think, early on in the AIDS pandemic back in the 80s, maybe even yeah. 90s and later. And I'm sure in spot cases it may happen today, but that, you know, that's something that is protected legally. People would not have to disclose HIV status for uh, rental situations. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised if it still happens from time to time in places where people may not be aware of that. Yeah. Are we still seeing a rise or is there a rise in infections among married or male partnered women? You know, I was recently looking at these numbers and among heterosexual men, um, seven, they only accounted for 7% of new cases. But for heterosexual women, it was 15%. And they attribute that to the fact that there are, uh, you know, a lot of males who are bisexual. And so if they are Uh, having sex with men, and, you know, studies have shown uh, men have have over time um, gotten HIV uh, more than women have, then there's an increased chance that the women that are with these men would would have a greater risk of acquiring HIV. So I believe that's largely where that's coming from. So in short uh, answer, yes, it is still an issue. That's got to be a communications challenge, too. Uh, if a woman goes for her annual or goes for uh, whatever to the doctor and finds out she's contracted this and the husband's the only guy, then she has to not only track down where the source of the infection was, but what other activities husband has been coming up with. So that's probably about, that's probably some counseling that maybe the center can uh, help her do. Yes, we definitely have resources available for anyone who is uh, newly diagnosed or even not newly diagnosed, but just uh, is HIV positive. We have behavioral health services available to um, anyone. Um, 
most often free of charge, uh, and if not, it'd be very low cost uh, and, uh-huh. and usually billable to insurance. So definitely have resources available. Checking, and I, I guess in some places there's a rise in domestic or partnered violence due to uh, uh, HIV AIDS. Have you found that too in the, at the center? You know, we're not seeing a lot of that here. You know, one thing I was thinking about when we talked about the earlier question about, you know, heterosexual women, uh, you know, there are, um, you know, in situations where there may be some dominance or abuse, Uh women have been challenged, and we've seen some of that where they want to protect themselves because they believe their husband might be out um, having sexual relations with other people, Uh and they have to be careful about that because they don't want to end up in a situation where they might be abused if their um, spouse or partner does not want them to use protection that you know might not work well for them. Yeah, the main thing, if they see changes in their health, to go see the doctor and get a handle on it early. Absolutely. Testing is key. We're really still focusing on testing, not only in the major metropolitan areas, but there's an emphasis in rural areas because that's where mm-hmm. Testing is less uh, available, and when folks do want to test, you know, they have to go to their small medical clinic or local pharmacy, and when they walk in, you know, someone might address them by first name, so they're reluctant to go in for that test. And so those are the areas where we really need to focus on testing efforts. You know, as we've seen over, you know, the decades, with access to treatment and care, this can be managed as a chronic condition. So the key is getting testing, getting tested so you know your status and can begin that treatment. Are we seeing a rise in uh, persons living with AIDS in rural areas now? Um, You know, I think when you do talk specifically about an AIDS diagnosis, we have seen them there simply because they're waiting so long to go to the doctor Uh. until they're not feeling well at all. And by that point, their health has really failed. And it is because of that stigma. They're afraid to go in and and have someone know that they are HIV positive. But if they can get them into treatment very quickly and get that turned around, you know, it doesn't always mean that, that, you know, that's the end uh, of a person's life just because they get an AIDS diagnosis. Although that's still a very critical situation today, but fortunately we do have uh, modern-day medicines that uh, in most cases can get that turned around pretty quickly. You just mentioned modern-day medicines. I've been seeing a lot of uh, television ads uh, with various medications for living with HIV. So it almost seems as if uh, it gives the impression that, oh, this thing is really taken care of. Uh, Last thing I really paid attention to it, I think you were telling me about the old cocktail a long time ago, and there was a whole bunch of medications in that. Have we moved way beyond that and just to these... uh, these medicines we see being marketed on television these days? Yes, uh, there have been great advancements in treatment and care. Yes, the the cocktail that you referred to was how people treated um, HIV and AIDS decades ago. I mean, handfuls of pills they'd have to take every day of different pills and count those out and manage them. And today, you know, it's basically a pill a day in most cases. And there are two primary medications out there uh, to treat HIV and it's come so far in that if you are um, HIV positive and are on treatment and can get your viral load down to an undetectable level, and that's, that's the goal, that's the standard for everyone who's in treatment and care, 
you can live a normal life, have a normal life expectancy as long as you keep that viral load uh, undetectable. And that's easily done if you're adherent to your medication. Is that affordable, though? Because some uh, treatments, you know, I mean, I went to find out about a single, a, a singles, a shingle shot. And it was like a hundred and a half a while ago. And if somebody has to do these anti-retroviral uh, therapies all the time, that could be pretty expensive. Yes, it is still expensive. We certainly want to focus our efforts on prevention because preventing HIV is a lot more affordable than treating someone with HIV. However, those prices have come down in recent years, and if you have uh, access to health insurance, um, it's really you know a lot more affordable, and that's something that we help with as well as at our organization. A lot of the folks that we serve are on Medicaid, and so they don't have a lot of resources, and we work with them to make sure that uh, with some assistance available through uh, government funding, we can make sure that they have their uh, HIV medication so they can also take advantage of getting to that healthy living situation. You know, all of you leaders who kept things going for your constituents, uh, uh, you guys couldn't be saluted enough. And so I wanted to make sure that got on the air because you were dealing with a tough topic to start with and it gets complicated Oh, so it couldn't happen to a better person that things are sort of leveling off now. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know, I just do want to say we are a not-for-profit organization, and so we really do rely on government funding and grant funding, and that yeah. is always, you know, falling a little bit short. And that's why we have a team of folks here who are out fundraising to sort of meet that gap. And, you know, if folks out there listening are interested in, uh, supporting us. We have Colorado Gives Day coming up on December 6th, and if you uh, would be so inclined to support us in any way that you can through through that event, we would appreciate it. Our guest on this edition is Mr. Daryl Hill, the Chief Executive Officer of the Colorado Health Network, Colorado's leading organization supporting persons newly diagnosed and those living with HIV. December is World AIDS Month. We will continue our conversation with Mr. Hill on our next edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Grab your COVID booster shot for additional safety and protection and the flu shot as well. And we do appreciate you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.